Like I love cruising. I love cruising. I just sometimes just want like some chips and salsa. And so, you know, some queso, like just a simple, like not. Maybe some guac too, Scott. Some guac. Like I don't, I don't need a, a, a steak every night. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's bonus episode of the DCL Duo podcast brought to you by My Path Unwinding Travel. And Sam, we have a really exciting guest this evening. We do. We have a really special, I'm going to call him a celebrity guest because we don't get a lot of people who have, I don't know, this number of Twitter followers. But we're really excited to welcome to the show journalist Scott Gustin. Welcome, Scott. Hey there. How are you guys? We're good. good. Yeah. yeah, excited to chat with you, Scott. I'm I'm curious if you want to let folks in on kind of introduce you as a journalist, but you spend a, a decent amount of your time on... Tw- I'm just going to keep calling it Twitter. For everyone out there, it's not like we recorded this episode pre-acquisition <laughs> by Elon, but I, X is just not going to come out of my memory often. So, nope. I mean, how uh, do you... What do you even call a tweet anymore? Uh, it's supposed to be a zeet, like with an X. That's so dumb. Oh my God. But what else would it be? Yeah. They ruin Moana. They ruin Moana because yeah. you can't do the, the gag about it if you write it with a bird as a tweet. But anyway, well, nonetheless, I find your tweets interesting and uh, you cover Disney, a wide range of Disney as a journalist. And so just curious if you can give folks kind of a sense of your background and how you started covering the the parks and the cruise line and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I work at a company called Nextstar and Nextstar owns over a hundred television stations across the country, including KTLA in Los Angeles, WGN in Chicago or some of the bigger ones we, we own. And so I've worked on the national content team as a national editor for a long time and, you know, just wrote about hard news and then Five or six years ago, as I was writing about Disney content, occasionally, whenever it would kind of reach the the wider audience mainstream, I just noticed kind of a growing interest in that as a kind of a side vertical that we would cover at Nextdoor. Of course, I've been a Parks fan, Disney fan my entire life. So it just kind of led to me being able to cover it from a work, you know, combining work and pleasure a little bit. And then Twitter just kind of took off for me during the closure when there was news every day, you know, and that that was not a normal thing. And it wasn't, there's no cupcake every day. It was actual like life altering news about this thing that we all were curious what was going on at the parks. Was it going to reopen? How is it going to look when it reopens? So there was just that every single day. And I think I I really focused in on just trying to cut through all the rumblings and speculation and rumors on social media about what would happen to try to just get the facts, which was not easy to get the facts from Disney. Yeah. Uh, during that. And I just kind of would hound them to to encourage them to be more proactive with updating people on every little tweak to policies and all of that. So I think I kind of built my following during during the closure. And then the we're still not back to 100 percent. So <laughs> all of the things that came with you know, the reopening, things returning to normal. That was just a headline, you know, seemingly one or two headlines every week when things were starting to come back. So yeah, what I appreciate about your coverage, Scott, is just that it's it's not the clickbait stuff that we get used to sometimes in the community. It's it's, you know, actual fact based news. But I also appreciate that you just mentioned you're a fan, you're a fan of Disney. And so sometimes you kind of approach it from that standpoint. I'm, I'm curious how you became a fan of Disney. You said you go to the parks quite often. Was that from a young age that 
you were going to the parks? And have you been on a Disney cruise would be another question I think we'd want to ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, no, I, I have pictures of me going, you know, we went every couple of years when I was younger. It really took off for me in high school and into college. And I mean, I've, I've been to Walt Disney World, I don't know, probably 60 or 70 times, wow. I would guess. And, you know, Disneyland, I've been going there for only... Only the last like 12 or 13 years. So I don't have quite as much OG knowledge of Disneyland that so many people that are locals out there have for it. So I'm still, I still consider myself green on Disneyland. And then for Cruise Line, we've been on 13, 13 cruises with Disney Cruise Line. So our first one was, yeah, we're platinum. They're they're, going to keep moving that that bar. That's (laughs) okay. I'm okay with it. People that have sailed that end zone. That's right. I'm people who have sailed 25 times deserve to have their own thing. So I am all very supportive of that. Just more life goals. So cruising is what my wife loves. So we we love to do it in Disney. We did a honeymoon on Carnival, and then before we had kids, we were like, we'll go check out Disney, and then that was it. <laughs> we haven't. We have not strayed since. You haven't come so. this, yeah. <laughs> nope. It's nice. Well, that's a kind of a common story. Not not necessarily yeah. with Carnival, but just in general that, you know, people who love Disney, if they try Disney Cruise Line and they have any sort of interest in cruising whatsoever, seem to kind of just go all in, you know, head first and love. So yeah. at least that's been yeah. our experience. And that was our personal experience as well. Yeah. Well, well, given how closely you follow Disney kind of across the board, I thought we should start broad and then narrow down into the cruise line. So, Scott, I kind of want to step back and ask you, how do you think Disney's doing right now? From our point of view, they're they're struggling a little bit. And I know a lot of that's attributable to the streaming side of things. But, you know, there's some chatter out in the fan community that, uh, you know, the parks aren't the greatest anymore. And Universal Orlando just up the road is building another gate. And what's Disney's answer going to be to that? And I don't know, just stepping back for a second, like, how would you how would you characterize how Disney's doing right now? I mean, I, I don't worry as much about the Epic Universe, I think. I think the fans tend to kind of that's a little overblown because Epic Universe is going to bring people to Orlando and Disney is going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. I do worry about you know beyond the first couple the first couple years Epic Universe is open like Disney really could do nothing for the next four years and be fine but my concern is we know how long it takes Disney parks to do any like make a decision much less like work on anything like actually dirt you know, moving, that is my thing. And yeah, I just, I am frustrated with the, it just seems like everyone's just kind of pushing papers around, not, you know, actually seeming to, I don't know, like actually show that they are thinking the same way Mm -hmm. and that they're a little self-aware that they take forever to build and work on projects right now. The company's not in the best financial state right now, but, you know, they, they keep saying all the right things when it comes to parks and cruise line, knowing that those are the things that essentially fund the rest of the company and allow them to go have fun with streaming and do everything else that the company has to do to be Disney. But it just, my my personal frustration with it is it just seems like they're a little stuck in the quicksand right now mm-hmm. and not moving, standing still when others are moving forward. It's like to me, and I don't know if this is how you'd characterize it, but it feels to me like Disney's doing a lot of navel gazing, right? Like they they like want to think about a problem for so long that they think about it to death and then nothing ever comes of it. And so like, 
you know, it's, it's like we have all these ideas for a new land. Well, they tell us 12 different ideas. I don't want 12 different ideas for a new land. I want the one that you're going to build, right? Like, tell me what land or what ride are you going to build and then make it happen. I understand it's going to be five years before it's actually built or maybe even more, but like at least, I don't know, it just, it seems like they're just this talk about, you know, constant different ideas is really unhelpful. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah. I just don't know who it serves. I don't know who, I don't, I really don't know who likes it. Like, I don't think the fans like it. I don't think investors, I mean, I don't think they're talking to investors when they talk about this stuff, but I don't think investors like it. I mean, I I was extremely frustrated at the most recent D23, Destination D23 event, just because I would have been, me personally, I would have been fine if Josh tomorrow had come out and said, we don't know what we're going to do at Animal Kingdom, but we're going to start construction tomorrow. And like, we saw... Like, I would have been more excited had they not shown us a single piece of artwork and then just been like, you know what, guys, we're working on some really cool stuff. But guess what? We're starting tomorrow. And like, you're going to be able to tell that we're actually moving forward. I would love to have both. I would love for them to talk about what they're going to do. But if I had to pick, I would have still taken the the more boring, you know, public display versus the flashy showing of concept art with no real like description of what we're talking about here. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, it could be these things that we're showing you. Really, all they did was commit to saying that they're going to redo that land at some point in the future. That's yeah. really all that was confirmed. Yeah. And it, it primes us a bit. Like, I think I think there's a little bit of there's a little bit of learned behavior on our side now where Disney says we're going to do this fabulous thing. And then it just slowly gets scaled back and back and back it really materializes in the way. I mean, Epcot is a prime example of that and all the things that they've you know, sort of committed to doing. And then they all got scaled back. Now, I understand pandemic is what it is, although I think they could have used that time wisely for some investments, <laughs> especially around like ride maintenance and things like that with the amount of capacity they lose every day on broken down rides. But yeah, it's I- it's. It, it it's interesting. I'd be curious, Scott, too. I think there's a kind of a general feeling out there. And I've heard this, you know, the company express this in different ways, like they're going after new audiences. But do you feel like they're continuing to cultivate their existing audiences in a reasonable, responsible way? I think they're starting to realize that they should be. But the problem again with Disney is I don't know how long it will take them to actually act on that. I mean, at Walt Disney World in January of this year, they announced, they made a series of announcements essentially saying, we hear you. We know that we have done a lot of things that are popular. They, you know, they made hotel parking complimentary. And there was a couple other like announcements that they made, things that were going to happen throughout the year. But even with those, with things like that, I don't feel like Disney gets any credit for it because they take so long to do things. You know, they announced in May, I think when bookings opened for next year, I think it was May, they announced dining plans are coming back and like all, all, all these things that, that, get announced where it does, even though they're not really new things, but they're things that are, you know, cognizant of their loyal fan base. And they're saying, we are going to bring back dining plans. We are going to make it easier. You know, no park reservations for certain tickets, like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Even when they are announcing that, it's still so far out that I don't really think they get really anything from it in terms of, of the the loyal like fans. But I hope that the recognition is there already because if it's not, they're going to already be behind on being able to like act on that. Uh, yeah. I do think there's more coming for parks, things that the fans want. I don't think park hopping hours are long for this world. I think Disney knows that they need to make changes to the line skipping services, whatever those end up being. Right. Like they know, they know all this stuff how quickly how quickly can we get back to 
you know, a, a solution. So is, do you think eventually question. they'll go back to something like or closer to FastPass than what they've done with Genie? I mean, do you think that's, I mean, I'm talking long term. I'm not saying like tomorrow. Yeah. I think we all agree they're not going to switch anything tomorrow. But do you think it'll it'll revert to something more similar to what FastPass used to be? I think if you will commit to having me on your podcast again, this day in 2024, I think we will all be talking about the newer version, whatever it ends up being. (laughs) And we will already have been able to have used it and have opinions and takes on how well it works versus Genie Plus. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. Scott. I, <laughs> I love that. First of all, I love that. We can call it Lightning Lane Plus. We can call it, you know, Magic Carpet. I don't care what we call it, but I really would love for something different. I would love for us to go back to Max Pass at Disneyland. Let me just put that out into the universe. Well, it, yeah. Yeah. It's uh. curious. It's curious to me because like, I think some of these changes you're talking about, Scott, are fantastic. But at the same time, then Disney makes these other changes like I'll I'll use Disneyland as an example. You know, we're going to limit the early morning magic hours to a half hour at one park. And oh, by the way, we're adding a whole tower's worth of capacity (laughs) for, for hotel stays. Right. So like you just completely sort of undercut the, the idea of early morning magic and then slammed that park, uh, for the hotel guests who are paying, by the way, $800, $900 a night to stay at the Grand Cal, you know, six to $700 a night at Disneyland Hotel. So like, I, it's it feels just like there's a mixed message happening internally, like left hand isn't talking to the right hand all the time. Yeah, I honestly, I feel like Disney makes decisions like this. And I feel like I can reverse engineer an explanation for it. Yeah. That change at Disneyland, I do not understand. Mm-hmm. Like the only, the only thing I could come up with is that maybe it's just not being used as much as we think it is, mm. or at least from a Disneyland perspective, they're looking at it saying like, this is not being used enough for us to justify doing both parks. So we need to do just one. Yeah, That's like the only thing I can come up with. But even I feel like that is a, is a crap like explanation. So like even the best I can do is not great. So that was a, that was a very confusing thing to do, especially when you're opening a new tower with yeah. that being a main perk for staying on property. It just didn't add up and it just seems so negligible. Like it's not that when I'm talking about like extending, you know, it's, it's just, it's nothing. It doesn't yeah. seem like anything hey. on the, on the balance sheet it doesn't seem like it would be and it's not like every ride is even open so like for folks who are listening who aren't parks people i don't know if we have i don't know if we, how many listeners we have that don't ever go to the parks i'm sure we have a few but like it's not like you get there for your half hour early and every marquee ride is open not even half the rides are open for that early morning magic half hour so yeah. I mean, yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's just makes no sense. Scott, how do you think they're doing attracting the new audience? Because I think they've got a little bit of an uphill battle there too, because they have so sort of, you know, for a period of time, I think they really, I don't want to say alienated, that's too strong of a word, but they really frustrated their fan base. And those are the people who are out there telling their friends, go to Disney. I think the messaging has shifted out in the community a bit, at least as to parks around like, it's complicated, it's frustrating, it's expensive, you know, you got to be up late or, and then up again early. Like it's, you know, it's it's a hard vacation for folks to sell now. I, I don't know. Do you think they're doing what they need to do to attract these quote unquote new audiences that they're looking to get? Uh, I have seen very little to convince me that they are obviously moving in a direction where they know what they're doing to get that audience back. My example at Walt Disney World is them eliminating the Magical Express. Yeah. Was just at its core was like this thing that would create the most goodwill from a person who goes on a trip and comes back home and talks to their friends about going. It's one of those things where it's like, we didn't even have to worry about how to get there from the airport. We didn't have to even think about it. You know, like the family's able to get off the 
airplane and follow signs and not have to, you know, do we want to take an Uber? Like, all right, what size Uber do we need? Oh, we have to get an XL. Is it going to be surge price? Like all the things. Yeah. Should we just rent a car? The rental car experience in the Orlando International Airport <laughs> is not great. Nope. So it's like all, all of these things are these hurdles, unnecessary hurdles, where for so long Disney had something like that and it paid off, in my opinion, paid off in people that would just go home, talk to their friends and be like, yeah, we went. It's, it's a stress-free way to end your trip. You don't have oh. to think. You got to get up early, but like, you know, and so yeah. that's just like one example of where... I feel like if they truly got it and they were like, you know, we we rode that really hard for a long time where it was this rite of passage for people to come to Walt Disney World and we didn't really have to reach out, actively reach out and and get these new audiences. They kind of just came to us Mm -hmm. thanks to how great of a job we were doing. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I, I still think it is. I just don't think it's as frequent as it was, you know prior to, to COVID because of a lot of the, the things that they've done that would make it where people would easily go talk to their family or friends about how great of a time they had. Well, and it would keep those people in the Disney bubble. We always thought that that was like a brilliant idea, right? You get them on the Disney transportation. Now they don't have a rental car. They're staying at a Disney resort. They're going to use the buses or the Skyliner or the monorail you know, or the boats to get around. And you've just locked them in that every meal they have, every place they go is going to be a place where Mickey's hand is in there possibly. <laughs> it's just like, it's just an easy calculus versus now if you got somebody who decides, okay, I'm going to take an Uber or I'm going to rent a car, right? Oh, they realize, oh, these other things are not that far away. I can take an Uber and do these other things and maybe eat off property or maybe stay off property. Yeah, it, it just doesn't feel, to use a term from a company I work for, customer obsessed at all. And yeah, that that's... Con- that's concerning a bit that they're not sort of looking for ways to improve it. I almost think that every Disney executive should have to book and plan their own family vacation at Disney <laughs> World without, without you know, entry gate passes and all of that sort of stuff and just go through and, and do it themselves. And I think they'd quickly arrive at the conclusion this is, this is not an easy vacation. Yeah, figure out park reservations. Let them yeah. do that. <laughs> so, so Scott, I want to shift gears over to Cruise Line because there's a ton we can talk about over there. Before we get into the the topic of the day, which is the the Disney treasure, you know, we've had several guests on our show who have started to claim that Cruise Line is one of the best values that remains in the Disney system because of everything that's included in the rising cost of a parks vacation. I'm wondering what you think about that. As you know, you're an avid Disney Cruise Line fan. You take Disney cruises. Do you think it's a good value these days? I don't know <laughs> if you can describe Disney Cruise Line <laughs> value. as a value. I All mean, right. it's it's t- it's a tough. So, I mean, it is for us, but like, I, I don't think I should be trying to, or would, would be, maybe not trying. I don't think I would be able to convince someone that it is a value. I, I think I can sell someone, if I'm talking to a friend, I can sell them on the experience, but like mm-hmm. the, the value part, I feel like is, is a tough sell. Like if you want, if you want a value, like you, you just pick your poison a little bit on the other cruise lines and you go, <laughs> you go on Royal Caribbean and you have a really good time. Yeah. Maybe not the, the peak cruise line experience, which I think is Disney, but like bang for your buck value. I, I think I would have a hard time selling that, but I would still try to convince someone to take a Disney cruise line, like with their time, especially. What about as compared to a parks vacation, right? Like let's yeah. say somebody's coming to you and saying, hey, I'm thinking about going to a Disney park, but I'm also thinking about a Disney cruise. Do you see sort of, you know, any value differentiation in that? Because that person's already going to be spending a lot of money, whether it's a parks vacation or a cruise line vacation. You know, do you see sort of that comparison working in Disney cruise lines? Favorite? I could. I mean, I, I, I think the what's what is so different is just experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think about me and my wife. I mean, 
mean, my wife would take a cruise every time over the parks, like every single, like if it's, you're talking about, you're, you're going to spend five grand on a family vacation cruise versus parks. Like I, I think you can make the value argument for cruise over parks, but then it's the person who just says like, I don't know what I would do on cruise line for a cruise ship for seven days or for a whole week. Yeah. And that, that becomes more of the sell, but like if you, if you're sitting there debating, you're like, I love cruising. I love going to the parks. It's, it's for what you're going to pay for a family to go to the parks you now with food. You decide you don't want to wait in line. You got to shell out, you know, $120 a day for Genie Plus. Like it is very, very quickly coming up on the price of a cruise. And if, if they're the same thing to you, I, I, I could be, I could be convinced that the term value might actually work with cruise line in that context. Yeah. Let, let's talk about some of the new things coming down the pipe here. And, uh, maybe I'll start with just Lighthouse Point, uh, for a second. You know, Disney's building the new private island, right? What do you think about the direction they're headed? Because I think it's going to be still very differentiated from a place like Perfect Day at Coco Cay or the, uh, other other similar kinds of islands you can go to for other cruise lines. You think they're kind of headed in the right direction? Is Lighthouse Point going to be a, a good thing for the cruise line, do you think? I think it will be. I, I do think it's, it, it does seem that they've created another castaway key. You know, like I, I was a little surprised that they didn't look at it and try to do a little bit more of the water park, you know, Royal Caribbean. Not really that that's what I want, but just for them to try to capture again, like a different and bigger audience. Instead, they kind of took something that is still my favorite cruise destination, which is Castaway Key. They took it and made it better. I personally think I'm going to love it, but I, I was surprised to see them not try something different just to get the person that look at the Coco Key, Coco Cay that Royal Caribbean put together and just kind of be like, this is Disney's version of something like that. They really just kind of stuck with what they know. And I mean, I think it will do well for them in the short term, for sure. But it will be interesting to see if people are really differentiating between Castaway Key and Lighthouse Point when it gets to the point where you're deciding, you're picking your your itinerary based on where it goes. If they're the same thing, I don't know if Disney will always be able to charge that premium to go to Lighthouse if it's yeah. kind of just a newer version of the same experience. Hey, DCL Duo fans, you know, we get the question all the time, should I use a travel agent to book my next Disney cruise or should I just book with Disney directly? And I'm going to tell you, if you have that question in the back of your mind right now, you should stop what you're doing and head over to mypathunwinding.com slash DCL Duo. The folks over at My Path Unwinding provide an amazing service. They are so knowledgeable and so friendly. We rely on them ourselves to book our family vacations and they provide an amazing service. And the best part is you don't pay anything extra for it. Disney, other tour providers, and other cruise lines have built the cost of their commission into their pricing. So if you're booking directly, you are just paying that money back to the provider when you could be spending it on the kind of service you would get from My Path Unwinding Travel. You've heard from their agents on our show. They are so knowledgeable, so giving of their time. They know so much about Disney Cruise Line, Sailing Concierge, other cruise lines, other all-inclusive vacations and adventures by Disney that if you have a vacation in mind, they are the ones to book it for you. So again, head over to mypathunwinding.com slash DCL duo so they know we sent you their way thanks my path unwinding for sponsoring the show and with that back to our episode yeah that's a really good point i hear from i feel like a lot of people who say that castaway key it markets towards sort of the younger family cruising right meaning younger kids not not necessarily younger adults i think adults like castaway key just fine and then sort of your younger child cruisers 
but that they're missing sort of that teen and tween market and that Royal caters better to that because of the water parks and other sort of adventure things you can do. What do you you say to that? Or or do you think that's really true? And do you think that Disney's sort of missing out by not doing a little bit more with Lighthouse? Yeah, I mean, I think think Disney is really, it seems they are very comfortable in kind of the, the age groups that they are appealing to, especially, you know, just specifically about the island, but even just the, the offerings on like the new ships, it seems like they, they're not trying to go, at least with the ships that are going to be based here in the U.S., they don't seem to be going like, oh, we need to have a, an even better attraction at sea or anything like that. They seem like they're they're pretty much okay with that pass and not trying to reach out out of their, you know, their what they know best. But I just, I, I look at the new ships and I have some serious issues just with not, not really what you're, what you're asking me about, but just the, the layout of the new ships and more of the, the high end direction that they seem to be taking with merchandise and all of that stuff. Yeah. Merchandise, concierge, all of that. Well, yeah. yeah, And let's, let's, well, let's hit, let's go there, Scott, because that's, that's on the list of things to talk about. So the wish, and obviously we'll talk about the treasure a bit as well, but yeah, new class of ships, very different. Different from the existing fleet, and it sounds like you have some opinions there. What, what, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I don't like them, and, and or I don't <laughs> like them. how new. you really feel, Scott. <laughs> I, I do feel like I'm being very negative. I, I mean, I'm not like obviously we all love this company and and yeah. the cruise line and the parks, but I, I had about every issue with the the treasure. You know, I, I was on the ship. We went with my family. We went on the the media preview cruise of the the Wish yeah. last year, and we all love cruise line. I have a, a nine-year-old son and he has been on six cruises. So like he's, he loves it as much as we do. Yeah. And he's we like our Nathan. Wish. Our Nathan yeah. is he's nine and he loves he, cruising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like he's grown up with it. Whereas like yep. me and my wife came around to it later in life, but we're on the ship for like five minutes and I'm already like picking it apart. Like we get in the elevator and the elevator buttons are all messed <laughs> up. And he was just like, dad, he was like, you need to give it some time before you're being so negative. <laughs> but I was, I, I have high standards for, for Disney Cruise Line. I mean, the fantasy is my favorite ship and that ship is the, the wish and the treasure uh, are so different. I'm okay with different, but I just didn't feel like any of the differences were an improvement other than the quick service options, like the food options. Just felt like all the other different was not, in my opinion, was not like for the better. Mm. And that's where I was just kind of bummed because this was the, I mean, we know, but not everyone knows that like, I knew when I stepped on that ship that I was stepping onto the next three ships. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, like I knew that the, the, yeah, the class were locked in other than the the things that are going to change based on theming. We're pretty much locked into the, the design of the show. And it, while beautiful, I mean, probably more, I would say it is more beautiful than the decor is more beautiful than the other shows, in my opinion. But there's just so much, so many other things that I, I had issues with. Yeah. Give us some examples beyond the elevator buttons, which they, by the way, have now fixed. But, oh, but God. yeah, I mean, so like, I mean, the common sort of, you know, feedback we've heard about the ship is uh, lack of the full promenade deck is a big one for people. The size of the adult spaces off the ship, the, you know, the way that the, the I, I even admit a lot of this, it feels a lot chopped up. Um, and I 100% agree with you, the high-end merch situation situation on board feels excessive. But I mean, is that the kinds of things that you experienced? And, you know, sort of what else would you highlight? Uh, I mean, the, my complaint on the high end part is not that it's there. It's the placement of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I should not. I want more from my my main deck three experience mm-hmm. on that ship than that. And I it doesn't. This is where I'm probably completely wrong. 
And I'm comfortable saying that because they, the people that know this stuff are probably like, you know, those stores make as much money as any, any other store on the, you know, they'll make more in one night and the rest of them will make the whole cruise. Right. They're, those are probably all accurate. But if someone wants to spend that kind of money, I just don't think they need to be in a stumble upon location like deck three. Mm-hmm. Like that needs to be for the masses and not for the niche. Like that's just like, put it on deck five up in the corner. Like it's. Right. We'll we find need, it. If they want to go a, do it, they'll find yeah, it. We need a bigger Mickey's main sale down on deck yeah. three or something similar. It doesn't have to be necessarily called Mickey's main sale, but an, a, a regular shop, not the high end merch shop. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that they are able to cater to that. There's nothing wrong with people. A lot of people like to go on cruises and buy really nice things and they, they need to capture that. I get it. it just doesn't, you know, it, it, it's almost like they would never put Bibbidi Boppity Boutique on deck three right mm-hmm. there because that is a destination stop. Ooh. If you're going to go to Bibbidi Boppity Boutique, you're going to go find it. Yep. But then it's like the coach store has to be <laughs> right here, like on deck three. If someone wanted that, I feel like they would be able to go to the treasure store, wherever it is on the show. Instead, use deck three for the merchandise at appeal, the main fill, like anything else, it, literally anything else I would rather have in that massive space than what they, they use it for on these shows. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is the last time we were on the Wish, we were looking for the 25th anniversary merchandise. And was it in the equivalent of Mickey's main sale? No, it wasn't. Which we're fully expected to go find, you know, a golf shirt, a t-shirt, a mug, that sort of thing. It was that they had put it into one of the high-end shops. So it was (laughs) a bit bizarre to me. It seems like there's almost an admission there. Like we don't have enough real estate for all of the merch that we want to sell to everyone. So we're going to take up some space in one of these other stores. So yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's just bizarre. That, that's good to hear. That is a that is an admission of failure. And, <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, that is them acknowledging that this is a problem. That maybe they'll. It doesn't appear that that's that this is going to be addressed in any way on the treasure. But that's at least them aware that they have not even considered making that a flex space or something. Mm-hmm. Like, just you shouldn't have to do that. Well, and they've doubled down on that, Scott. Let's let's talk about that for a second because on the magic and the wonder now they've turned some of the shutters space into into a high-end jewelry shop. I don't know if you've seen this. It happened on the Magic bef- you know, during her dry dock, and I believe it just happened on the Wonders recent dry dock. I'm curious what you think about that. I'm more okay with those because those are, are in more, uh, they're in smaller spaces. I just don't, you, they could have built hyperspace lounge too in that space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They could have done anything else. I mean, any any use or reuse of shutters, et cetera, like is yeah. probably hard for me to complain about. It's not how I would have done it. Like there's, yeah. I would love for them to do things that, you know, build another trivia area. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I would love for any of that stuff over high end shop. But if they're going to have to do it, like I'm, I'm okay with them taking, I'm more okay with them taking that, that type of space than what they've they've done on the, the Triton ships. I'm sure someone's looking at a, a number in, <laughs> on a balance sheet saying, hey, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know how much <laughs> they make every night in the store. But I just don't, don't like it there. My other, just real quick, my other issues with the ship, I don't like the 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 lobby, the atrium. I don't really think the stage yeah. worked out the way that I wanted it to. Like I was excited about that new feature. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't know if it quite worked the way that 
they thought it would and how I thought it would in terms of just use. It didn't didn't seem to be getting used as much as as I think it it should have. But maybe they'll use it more on the treasure. Yeah, um, yeah I th- I agree. I think they could use it more. I actually I like the stage and I like the atrium or the grand hall, but I do agree it could be utilized more. I felt like it was utilized really well on the 25th anniversary sailings as opposed to when we were in the atrium for the 25th anniversary sailing on the magic because you could fit all of the characters in that atrium and on that stage so they all came out and did this like grand reveal that you just really couldn't do on the magic so there are opportunities i think to use it and they do a couple of little game show things like guess who's behind the curtain and so they, they have utilized it a little bit more probably since you know the preview sailings but i agree there's a lot of opportunity and perhaps some missed opportunity there Scott, let's talk about the treasure for a second. So, you know, lots of announcements. People were waiting for all these announcements to come out over new venues, new spaces. I think the announcement suffered a bit from the same problem that we saw at, at D23 and that they held back a lot of stuff that people were really wanting to hear this time around. But what did you think about the announcements overall and the theming of the ship? I mean, uh, you hit the nail on the head. There was not going to be any structural changes to the design of that ship. And I 100% agree with you. I doubt there will be. I mean, they have an opportunity to do such changes with the last ship. But if there are any, I think they will be extremely minor. But what do you think overall about the re-theming of the ship and some of the, you know, the IP that they're trying to bring in to the treasure? Yeah, I mean, I wanted I wanted to be wrong on the structure part, though. Like, I wanted to <laughs> Just like I wanted to be so confident of something and then then be like, oh, no, you're actually, you know, completely. But I knew I, I mean, I knew that that was not going to. I was hoping that they as, as fun as the Aquamouse is on the wish. I was kind of hoping that they would have done. I want them to do something different with that. So I that, that was one thing I was keeping my fingers crossed about that we would get a surprise and like another main feature attraction, something like that. And, and of course, I mean, the, the Haunted Mansion bar sounds fun whenever, whenever they finally do announce that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, it, I think I was a little, I was a little prepared for what it was going to be because of the knowing how this class of ships works and what their limitations are. And also just knowing that I was well underwhelmed with the wish. My expectations were just not super high. I do know that it's, or at least I don't know, it seemed bookings were soft after, after it was announced. But I, I mean, you can, you can still book the maiden voyage today if you want. Can you really? <laughs> oh, my oh yeah. God. I checked the other day. They had the so what was interesting. I, I want to ask you your opinion on pricing here in a second. But what was interesting is all the lowest price rooms are fairly well gone, right? Like any inside cabin is gone. Any vera- or sorry, ocean view cabin on like a deck two is gone. I think the entire ocean view category might have sold out. But for you know verandas, the only verandas that were gone were like the non deluxe family. So it's like all the lowest price categories are gone. You can still get a veranda stateroom on the ship, and you could still get even concierge on the ship. And so I think you're. 100% right. Sales seem very soft on this ship considering the Wish Maiden Voyage sold out before. I think it sold out just as it hit gold, right? Like just a few people in gold got to book it and then it sold out. And this made it to the general public and, you know, a month later you can still book the cruise. And I I would love, I mean, I would love to hear your take on, you know, is that because people feel like they know what it, what it is? Like they don't need to splurge. They can, they've been on the Wish or they can go on the Wish. Do you think there's like people know 
that it's essentially the same ship? Or do you think it's like, what, what do you, what is your theory? I, I think for the maiden voyage specifically, the, the, the issue is really three things. One time of year, crazy to be selling a maiden voyage at Christmas time. Uh, Cause a lot of people are saying, I don't want to give up Christmas with my family to go <laughs> on a maiden voyage. Yep. Two, I think people are a little still shell shocked from the wish. So you're like diehard fans who booked the maiden voyages all the time, booked one on the wish and it got bumped out from underneath them. And, you know, sure, 50% credit is nice. But I think there are some people who say like, I'm not convinced that won't happen this time around. I'm fairly convinced it won't because I don't think Disney can ruin a bunch of people's Christmas vacations and expect to come out of that with goodwill. And then I think the third thing is the price. The prices you're paying maiden voyage price with holiday pricing, you know, you know, plus a markup for it being the new ship. And so, you know, sitting outside the maiden voyage, I think one of the biggest blockers to or the you know the thing that's driving the softness in the market is a 30% markup over the fantasy to go on the same cruise on the treasure and you know there's a lot of people out there who didn't like the wish and to your point look at the treasure and go same thing right it's just got some different spaces on it and so they didn't really address the structural concerns that people had with the wish they just rethemed it and so I think there's a lot of people going oh, I'd just rather go on the fantasy yeah I mean that's me but I <laughs> I like all of us, I tend to, or I, I am aware that I often fall in the hole of like assuming that everyone thinks like I do. But I mean, that's, I had the same thoughts and I had the same reaction to when the bookings open. I mean, I, I will go on the treasure and I am, I do think I'm maybe a little more excited about the the specific theming of, you know, the spaces like the Coco Show sounds great. I mean, I think one thing Disney Cruise Line has always lacked is like good Mexican food, like yeah. just simple, like like, I love cruising. I love cruising. I just sometimes just want like some chips and salsa. It's so, you know, some queso, like just a simple, like not. Maybe some guac too, Scott. Some guac. Like, I don't, I don't need a, a, a steak every night. I don't need a steak every night. Yeah. I will order it if it's on the menu. So force me to to take a break from that. Eat something different. And that's where like I, I look forward to, to that. That'll be a fun experience. A good hopefully will be some good food, a good menu. The the quick service wish the bowl I'm yeah. actually at Donald's, Donald you know, that's oh, Donald's, yeah, Cantina, Donald's yeah. Cantina, yeah. as we like. To yeah. Say, yeah, that was so nice to have just yeah. to get something. You can get something light. You don't have to, doesn't have to be pizza or burgers or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that. Scott, let's shift gears for one second and talk about the literal elephant in the room almost, which is the massive new ship that Disney is building for the Asian market. What, what are you, you know, if if the treasure and the wish underwhelmed uh, a bit on your end, what do you need to see out of something like the Disney adventure to get excited? Or can you? Or yeah, or can I don't you? Think I, can, I don't think I can get excited about it. It's, it's hard knowing that, you know, I mean, you, the, the two of you may travel over there at some point to see it. I don't see myself ever. I mean, they could say they're giving out gold bars at the at the front and I would still have to think like really long if I want to go that far. Yeah. Um, I, so I paid attention to it. I know it's, I know what's going on with the ship. I've heard a lot of the rumors about things that you're going to put on it. And cast members love talking about the adventure. <laughs> well, the cruise line <laughs> cast members, like they love to speculate and talk about it. Yeah. Well, but I mean, for me, from that part of the world, I feel like there's, yeah. you know, plenty of folks from like Indonesia, for example, who would love to be stationed out of Singapore because it's really pretty close to home for them. Yeah. I mean, I no, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that. That's a good point. Maybe they're, they're home away from home ship uh, yeah. a little bit. So, 
I mean, I think it would be without having to feel like it really, that there's a cost. Whereas with the treasure and those ships, like whatever Disney does, I'm, I know that I'm going to go on those ships and I'm going to have a take with the adventure. I'm kind of like, yeah, it would be pretty cool to see them trying to put a roller coaster on a ship, you know, because I, I'm probably not going to go. And like, if it doesn't, it turns out to be chaos. I can selfishly say that that's not something I would ever have to deal with. So I would like to see them take some chances on the ship and then figure out what chances pay off or which don't. And then maybe bring those over during dry docks to some builder ships. Yeah, that's a good kind of out of sight, out of mind, that ship. I think if you're, you know, folks like us who live in the United States and, you know, who it, it really is that long distance to go over there and sail, you know, out of Singapore. Yeah, we don't really have to kind of think of her as part of the fleet. We can kind of think of her as the <laughs> abomination that she looks like she will be. It's fantastic. There you go. The Disney abomination. The Disney um, abomination. That's what I'd like to call it. Disney Frankenstein, actually. Yeah, that first, the first theme part, or the first concept art that we got for it. Oh, was, oh yeah. gosh. Yes. Six funnels. Yeah. Actually, I shouldn't call it Frankenstein. Awful. I need to call it Frankenstein, not Frankenstein. Yeah. That's incorrect. <laughs> Do you think it was a smart move for them, Scott? And, and look, I, I'm not going to get into like the business of it, right? I mean, like going into the Asian market and untapped market with plenty sure. of Disney fans, I think probably makes sense. I'm wondering more, do you think it was a smart move for them to pick up a ship out of bankruptcy as, you know, as opposed to trying to design something themselves? Because that ship is going to look very, very different than all the other ships in the fleet. And I think you see the same design language flowing through from the magic to the treasure. You don't see the same design language with the adventure. Yeah, I, I feel like at the time, when it was first announced, it was kind of like, a, oh, you know, it feels like a low risk, no risk mm -hmm. uh, decision. And then you start to hear more about how much they're going to have to spend to retrofit it. And it's right. like, well, oh, like, <laughs> but then as I was grappling with that, I was like, but if they didn't, they just would have used another Triton shell. Yeah. Like if they're going to take a billion dollars and put it in the cruise line, it would have just been another wish treasure, whatever this, the next ship is class ship. So I kind of like came back around to where I was good with them taking the chance. I do think, or I don't think people realize the, how much Disney is saying and has admitted they're going to have to spend to, to retrofit it. A lot of people just focused on the well, they got it for a steal, and which they did. But I, I really would like to know when it's done, how much the shit would have cost to build from the water up versus how much they're going to have to spend to retrofit it. Because, I mean, it sounded like they're still going to spend a billion dollars on the ship. So yeah. I mean, are they saving like, I don't know, half a billion dollars by doing this? I don't know. Yeah. And we'll see how how it like handicaps them creatively will be interesting to see. Can they really do what they want to do on the ship? Yeah. But maybe it forces them to not fall into some of the things that they fell into on the, the train class and, you know, feeling like they have to do certain things. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to be really interesting to watch from a distance and something that I'll probably never personally experience. But roller coaster at sea would be pretty interesting. I I was surprised that Disney wasn't the first. I was a little frustrated that Carnival was the first because I think if anyone could build an attraction at sea, it would have been it would have been Disney. And that I all you know whatever Disney wants to call the Aquamouse, it is not it is not an attraction at no. sea. Um, let me ask, I've, I got one last question for you, Scott, before we wind things down here, which is just, you know, moving away from kind of the existing fleet for a second, or, or let me phrase it differently. You've got these classic ships that sit there, the, the Magic and the Wonder, the two original Disney Cruise Line ships. And they are, you know, getting long in the tooth. I think Disney's going to have them around for a while longer. I don't think they're going anywhere immediately. They're obviously investing in dry docks and all that sort of stuff. When we get to the end of life for those ships, do you think there's really any scenario where Disney builds smaller ships to replace those ships? Or do you think that they go the way the industry is going and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger? I think bigger. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it, it doesn't oh, that makes make, me so sad. It makes me sad too because I love I love those ships, but I I do think that you're you're right that they will stick around longer than maybe people think or would otherwise think that they would, just because Disney does spend a lot more than the other cruise lines on upkeep, dry dock, all of that, all of those things. They spend way more than the other cruise lines do, so those ships will last longer than you know, a ship from Royal Caribbean of the same age and same size. But I just, I mean, all of the the cruise ports are being built with the other cruise lines in mind. And they're making all of these, you know, adjustments to their docks for bigger ships that I don't think Disney would ever look at what, what I think we might want them to look at, which is that a s- small does not mean worse. You know, big is not always better. So it makes me sad to, to think that too, but I, it just seems like they will follow the trend of super ships and... You know, we have seen the smallest ships released by Disney and they will either stay the same size or get bigger. Yeah. Would be my, my what assumption. Follow up question on that. What do you think about Disney's sort of continuing to partner with these other small like expedu- expedition cruising lines to do things through adventures by Disney or Nat Geo on, let's say, Penant or Alma Waterways, right? You know, do river cruising, expedition cruising, that sort of a thing. Do you think that will continue? Do you think Disney has a future in that space as a solo provider or continue with those partnerships? I have, I've heard that those river cruises and Disney's partnerships are very lucrative for the company in tr- just because of what the actual cost is, right. you know, that, that it is a very profitable uh, thing for them. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them expand on that. I don't see them, at least in the near term, I don't see them trying to like get rid of the partnerships and own all of that. But I, I have heard from multiple people that that is a, that Disney does pretty well with that relationship. And I would bet with the state of the company that they would want to keep keep that revenue and then, you know, maybe maybe add to it, but not necessarily like try to change it or take over ownership of, of that entire business. Well, Scott, it's been really great talking to you. I have one sort of final question. If you could snap your fingers at Disney Cruise Line and create an itinerary, like where would you want to sail and what ship would you want to be on? The Fantasy Southern Caribbean oh. is, which, which we have not done. We've done... We've done the Southern Caribbean of the magic, but the extended fantasy cruises that we just haven't been able to make work that have gone for like nine, 10 days, or maybe it was like eight days. Just the longer fantasy Southern Caribbean castaway is about as good as it gets for us. We we have not done Alaska yet. So if I was actually able to snap my fingers (laughs) and not have to pay for it, I probably would pick Alaska. But if I was just playing the hypothetical, like what's our favorite thing, it's it's those islands, Southern Caribbean on the fantasy. Yeah, you want the 2019 itinerary because that was 11 nights. That's what we actually were on that sailing. It was, yeah, it was only our fourth, I think our fourth cruise and it was fantastic. And we went without our son. Let me just put that out there. (laughs) Yeah, no, we did our Southern Caribbean, just me and my wife too, which probably adds to the memories. Yes. So basic. But like we, we don't, when we're with kids, we don't always do port adventures or if we do, it's something, you know, we walk. No, we've, we've done bigger port adventures with them, but not as free. Went. But we, yeah, when we went on the Southern, we did the best thing at every port. And yeah, it's it's a really good itinerary. So it was a lot of fun. Well, Scott, it has been so fun chatting with you. We've interacted on Twitter a few times and it, I, I just love following your stuff. For our listeners out there, I cannot plug heavily enough following Scott. If you have a if you have a Twitter account, at Scott Gustin, great, great stuff coming out from Scott. Scott, are there other ways that folks should look to follow you or find you or read some of your journalism about, about Disney that 
are off of Twitter? Nah, not worse. Mention. <laughs> I mean, eventually Twitter's eventually Twitter's going to blow up, and there will be. I'll have to figure out where where to go next. Are you gonna- I, I guess. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's not Threads is not great. Blue Sky is not great. You know, at some point, I think we'll all have to decide on something. I just want us all to go to the same place. Yeah, like, wherever we end up. Like it's it's the that's what I that's what I enjoy is community. And uh, the people and, you know, the, the newsy news service side that Twitter still offers, even though the, the platform is not great. I, I write occasionally for Nextstar, so people might see my name on stories from KTLA and, and other places so they can see see my stuff there. But if they're trying to find me, I'll be on Twitter until page just stops loading and then <laughs> I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> well, there you have it. Well, Scott, we just super appreciate you taking time out of your busy, busy day to come on and uh, share some of your thoughts with with our audience. And it's a date next year, October 9th, 2024. We have to have Scott back on to hear about and chat about all the new changes that will have come, hopefully, to the Genie Plus reservation It's going to be called Magic Carpet Ride. Tell, I'm telling there you. you. There you go. There you go. Oh, that's good. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, like I can come go. up with... I got snappy names left and right, Scott. Uh, but for now, Scott, we'll just say thank you for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, a big thank you to all of you out there for listening this week. We really, really appreciate it. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. We'd also love it if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you hit those five stars, that's great. If you leave us a written review along with a five-star review, we will be sure to read it on the air at the end of one of our main episodes. If you're hovering over anything less than five stars, we really want you to reach out to us so we can take your feedback. Best way to do that, head to dclduo.com to find all the ways to connect with us. It links to our podcast, our vlog, our blog, has all the ways you can connect with us on social media, has our Etsy store where you can find our fun beach bags and magnets that we designed as enthusiasts of each of the Disney Cruise Line ships, has a link off to our Patreon. If you'd like to help support the show, we really truly appreciate each and every one of our Patreons for helping to support the show each and every month, has a link off to our show sponsor, My Path Unwinding, where you can get more information about booking a fabulous vacation, which also really helps to support our show. All the things are there, including a way you can sign up to be a guest on the show if you'd like to share your Disney Cruise Line experience. Most importantly, you can always email us at dclduo at gmail.com if you'd like to connect with us, or you can call our voicemail line if you'd like to leave us a message. We love to include the voices of our listeners in our show. Just dial 402-413-5590. That's 402-413-5590. And that will head straight to our Google Voice voicemail line. The DCL Duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent or the great folks over at My Path Unwinding Travel. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with a DCL duo. Good night. Good night.